Today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and as we mentioned already, that means the theme for this week is joy. The four uh, themes of Advent being faith, love, hope, and joy. And uh, before I get into the idea of, of, of joy, uh, just start with a little story. Some of you have probably already heard this. You know, after being here 10 years, you, you start telling the same stories over and over again. And, and with people turnover, though, they all, always think you're brilliant. But uh, those of you who've been here a while, you've, you've heard some of these. But when Cindy and I, my wife and I, uh, graduated from, the uni- from university, we joined this, the Peace Corps. And the Peace Corps is this uh, U.S. government kind of sponsored uh, thing which allows people to volunteer for a two-year period. And usually in developing countries, I had degrees in agriculture and Cindy was a teacher. And so we went to this country called Lesotho. And, we were, and Lesotho is in South Africa. It's surrounded by South Africa. And, uh, and this little village, well, it was actually the biggest village in the area, which is very relative. And it was called Tabatseka. And I taught at the high school. There was a boarding school uh, in Tabatseka. And uh, I taught English and agriculture. And my wife would travel from village to village, either walking or by horse or by bus, however she could get there. And she would train uh, the village teachers how to teach. Because in these small villages, they would put a whole bunch of kids in a room that was, you know, uh, just a tiny little room, and they would just kind of teach them by memorization. So Cindy was teaching them other uh, teaching methods. And after uh, our first year there, almost our first year there, uh, Christmas rolled around, and we were able to go on vacation for the first time. And so Cindy and I decided we were going to go to Zimbabwe, which is north uh, of Lesotho. And uh, there's some beautiful things in Zimbabwe. They have game parks, uh, Victoria Falls, this big, huge waterfalls there. And, uh, but we didn't have any transportation because we weren't allowed to have our own private transportation. So we always had to get, to, get around by either a bus or we had to hitchhike. And so we decided we were going to go to Zimbabwe. So we took the bus through the mountains, which was always just kind of, you just kind of hung on and prayed as you went around some of these roads that were so narrow that the dual wheels, one of the back wheels would sometimes come off the road as they went around. These guys who could drive these buses were amazing. And uh, then we got across the border from the capital, Maseru, into, into South Africa, and we started to hitchhike, and we could not get a ride to save our life. And maybe I was intimidating. I don't know. We, we eventually got to the point where I would hide and Cindy would hitchhike, and then I would hop out and say, can I go too? And, uh, but but we, didn't, we hadn't perfected our method yet. This is our first time doing this. So after a couple hours of these cars going by, and we're getting nowhere, finally this, this group of cars pulled up, and they were all smashed up. And what it was was there was a salvage company in South Africa that would buy cars that had been in wrecks that could still drive, and they were driving them to their shop where they would un- take them apart and sell the parts. And so they wanted me to drive. This lady was trying to drive, and the alignment of this one car was so messed up that she couldn't, it was, it was wearing her out to try and keep it on the road. So they picked us up to drive. And so I was fine with that. Man, I'm gonna, I, as long as I can get going on vacation, I'm going to drive. Had no windshield because the windshield had been smashed out, and the front was curled up, and the alignment was off. And I spent about four hours, we were making our way towards Johannesburg, and just hanging on this car, trying to keep it on the road. And it was, it was an exhausting uh, proposition. Night fell, and all of a sudden they just all stopped and said, this is where you get out. And we're like, get out? Yeah, this is where you get out. And they were, where are we? Well, Johannesburg is just that way. Soweto is that way. Probably don't want to go that way. 
This is where you get out. And they tossed us out, drove off, and Cindy and I were standing by the side of the road in the dark, just outside of Johannesburg, early 1990s, and it was a little tense. And, uh, and so Cindy and I, we had no idea where to go. I was exhausted because I'd been holding this wheel for so long and trying to keep the car on the road that we decided, all right, we'll just, we'll just find a place to camp off the side of the road. Uh, we'll go off the side of the road, we'll get a gr- and there's this grove of trees. We went into there, and we set up our tent. We had a tent, and we tried to, go to, we tried to sleep. But you can imagine there wasn't a lot of sleep that night because uh, it, it felt almost more vulnerable being inside the tent than sleeping outside the tent because inside the tent, you can't see anything. And so every time you know, I'd hear a noise, I'd wake up. It didn't help. There were some gunshots that went off somewhat nearby. Uh, during that night, and Cindy and I, we just didn't sleep at all, and it was the it was the longest night of my life. I still remember this night, you know, very vividly. I remember just lying there and like, we should move, but I was so tired. And I was like, I don't know what we can do and where we can go. It was, mid- it was the middle of the night, and there was no cars, so we we stayed in the tent until we could barely see the dawn begin to break, and we decided we're just going to go back to Lesotho. This is crazy. And so we got up, and we packed up all our stuff, and we stood by the side of the road, and we started trying to, we were going to hitchhike the other way, but as soon as we got to the road, this car pulled over. And this guy was coming home from his night shift. And, uh, and he goes, what are you doing out here? And then we said, you know, well, we're trying to hitchhike up to Zimbabwe. And he goes, are you crazy? You know where you're at? He was like, no, we really have no idea where we're at. He goes, you're right in the, right, there's Johannesburg, and right over the hill there is Soweto get in the car. So we got in the car, and we found out he was a Christian, and uh, he took us home and cooked up breakfast for Cindy and I, then told us the right road to be on, drove us to the right road, dropped us off, and everything from that point on went great. The trip was awesome. It was one of the best trips that we ever had, full of fun and interest, and we look back on it with great joy, but man, it was a rough start. And it was, it was one of those times that I really kind of began to understand the idea of joy comes with the morning. You know, there's lots, of, there's lots of Old Testament passages that talk about the joy coming with the morning. And man, I understood it after that. Because there was a relief that we're going to be okay. And then when this guy picked us up, we found out he was a Christian. And then he began to, he took us to his home and he fed us and he put us back on the road. It was like, wow, talk about going from despair to, you know, happiness, joyfulness, just all of a sudden. Going from the place of wanting to give up and go back to being willing to move forward. And when I think about the Christmas story and I think about Joseph and Mary, I think very often that, you know, this guy, this guy must have felt very similar as he was taking his wife, pregnant wife, into Bethlehem. He gets there at night. There's nowhere for them to stay. And it doesn't seem like in the Gospels people were very concerned about them finding a place to stay. So finally, someone gets, allows him to stay in a, in a well, place where the animals were. Some people think it's more of a cave than anything else. Stayed in there. And then she gives birth. And this is the first time that either one of them have been through this, this experience of giving birth. And I don't know about you. I mean, I've been with Cindy when she was giving birth to our kids. And it's certainly not something I would want to do by myself. And I think of a person 2,000-some years ago, Joseph's culture, he probably has never been around a pregnant woman giving birth ever. And there he is. And then there's Mary. 
young, already going through all the trauma of being found pregnant by the Holy Spirit and having to, having to hear the village probably whisper every now and then, oh, there's Mary. God made her pregnant. Mm-hmm. Joseph married her. Oh, that guy's crazy. Did he believe her? I don't know. All those, because it's a small village, man. She's there. And you ladies that have had children, you know what it's, yeah, it's probably not the sort of thing you want to do by yourself the first time. But as far as you know, that's all she was by herself. And of course, it went well. God was also with her. But when we look at the, the scriptures, this idea of, of with the dawn comes the joke comes the joy. You see this in the, in the story of Jesus' birth when it's night, but in the morning he's born. Psalm says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Sing for the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts but a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. We actually sing a song that's based on this. Uh, you know, and then there's the, you, know, you who dwell in the dust, Wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. It's kind of in the Psalms, this foreshadowing of the resurrection. But to have no doubt, the beginning of Jesus' story was rough. The beginning of his life was rough. You know, so let's just read it through just to remind ourselves. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to marry Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, again, not to, to belabor the point, but wow, Joseph, Joseph was a man of faith, as was Mary. Mary was a woman of faith. And in this culture... To be found pregnant outside of wedlock could lead to your death. You could be stoned to death with rocks. Not the other kind of stone, but the one that hurts. And Mary, Mary's story, you got to admit, if you, were, if you were there, I mean, I've been married to my wife for over 30 years. And if she came up to me and said, Jeff, I'm pregnant and God did it, It'd be, I guess I'd believe her, but it'd be tough, you know? And that's why Joseph gets this dream. You have to understand where Joseph's at. You know, this, is, this girl's telling him, God made me pregnant. And the whole village knows about it. So he has this dream, and in the dream, he's given assurance by God that in this dark place of his life, there will come the joy of mourning. There will come a time when the darkness breaks and Joseph will be in a place of light. But it was going to be a long time coming because after he takes her home as his wife, we're told in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census would be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to their firstborn, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for him at the inn. So this is how Jesus' life starts. And it's not an easy start. It's a rough start. And I think one of the things that, that I find most interesting about being at IBCD and talking with folks from around the world, this is such a unique opportunity to make contact with Christians from around the world, from all these different cultures, all these different backgrounds, is that many of the folks who are in IBCD had a rough start in life. Sometimes it was the rough start of poverty. Sometimes it was the rough start of war. Sometimes it was the rough start of broken families. But if you talk to folks around this church, it's interesting to listen to, especially from my somewhat privileged American white upbringing, that folks around the world have had a much rougher beginning of life than certainly I have. And I find it inspiring that so many folks have come out of these rough starts and have established themselves in Germany, either as students or working here. I find that incredibly admirable. It's, it's, I really do. It's kind of beyond what I think I would have done. But I also find it interesting that where I hear complaining from the folks that seem to have everything in their life, from these folks that have had a rough start or come out of war or come out of brokenness or come out of poverty, so often there's much more joy in their life. There's so much, much joy in how they express themselves. And I've always found that interesting too. And I think it's because when you come from a rough beginning or you come from a dark beginning or, or a hard beginning, when you come to a place where things are starting to click and go well and you actually have a little money in your bank account, you're not afraid of being shot for your faith, there's enough food out there to buy, that seems pretty good. There's joy because this seems good. Whereas for many of us, eh, it's just normal. And I've also noticed that there are many times when a person begins their journey in Christ, the same sort of things happen. People often have a very rough start in their, in their faith. Over the years as a pastor, I've noticed time and time again that when someone becomes a believer, very often some things will start to go bad in their life. They'll get into a car accident, or they'll lose their job, or something will happen in their relationship. And it, and it just immediately comes. In fact, I've come to the point when someone tells me that they're a new believer, I begin praying for them. I pray for them, their protection spiritually, emotionally, physically, very much the same way that we pray when a, when a child is being dedicated, that God will protect them. Because this new life that's been born in Christ is targeted. It's targeted by the enemy. And why would Satan want to target the life of the new believer? Well, he wants to destroy their joy. He wants to destroy it. He wants to steal it out of their life. And why would Satan be so focused on making sure that those new believers have their joy crushed as soon as they can? And I think it has to do with the quality of joy. What is the quality of true joy? And this becomes one of those little differences in wording, but it's significant. In my mind, the difference between joy and happiness is that happiness is most often based on our circumstances. I'm happy when... Things are going in my life in such a way that I enjoy. 
You know, there's a reason why Disneyland's called the happiest place on earth. Because you walk in, you got rides, you got food, you got fun. It's happy. But joy is different. Joy is that feeling of, it's kind of that mix of relief and assurance that whatever goes on in my life, whatever my circumstances might be, nothing can take away the fact that Christ died for my sins, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, gave me his Holy Spirit. Nothing can take that away. My circumstances can't take that away. I could be poor. I could be rich. I could be in a place of war. I could be in a time of peace. Nothing is going to take away what Christ has done, because it's done. It is finished, as Jesus himself said upon the cross. It is finished. And the relief from that, knowing that my sins have been forgiven, and knowing that we, as children of eternity, are not shaped forever based upon whether or not I live in a place that has a good economy or a poor economy, whether or not I live in a place that's in peace or in war, it's based on who Jesus is and what God has done for us on the cross. And nothing can change that. Nothing. Now, it's true that Satan can try and squash the joy out of our life. And the reason why he wants to squash that joy is because very often, even, the, even when people, or almost especially when people come from difficult circumstances, the testimony of God's faithfulness is made even more powerful. Have you ever heard the testimony of someone who came out of a, a, a war-torn background or someone who came from a, a very oppressive background and they find Christ? You know, their, their testimony shines because you have this contrast of where they were and where they're at now. And it can be shocking sometimes when you hear the stories. I went to a, I was invited years ago to speak in uh, Guatemala at this missionaries conference thing. And there was this missionary there who's, who, uh, he was probably in his late 50s. And his wife was very open about the fact that she had been a prostitute until she met the, this missionary who led her to Christ and, and then her life changed, and he ended up marrying her. And when you hear it, when you hear her testimony, when she talks about the life of being a prostitute, it's not a comfortable thing to sit through. You know, you sit there and you listen to it, it's like, can we talk about this in church? But that deep, deep darkness contrasted to the joy that she felt in Christ, the, the sense of self-worth, the sense that there's something more that she can do with her life, and then the relationship she had with this guy who led her to Christ, and then he eventually marries. It was just kind of mind-blowing, but it was an incredible testimony. Sometimes that darkness leads to that brighter light, which is one of the reasons why I think that the things we have to, one of the things we have to kind of deal with is that sometimes the rough start in our life comes from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying the Lord made this woman a prostitute, but you look at Jesus' life story. God could have done this a lot easier for Joseph and Mary. He could have come to them both in a dream, or the angel could have come to them when they were together. That would have been helpful. The angel could have said, now listen, you're going to get married, but withhold yourself from one another, and then she's going to be made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the whole scandal around the her being found pregnant out of wedlock would have been gone. Joseph's stress of like thinking, well, I need to divorce her would have been gone. And you could still have the virgin story because it's a small village. They could still tell the story. You know, we were told to stay apart. In fact, Mary stayed at her parents' place. Joseph stayed at his parents' place. And look what happened. Behold, woo! But God chose to make it hard when he had her pregnant outside of wedlock. 
when he made Joseph go through the, the turmoil of, what do I do with this? And sometimes, you read through the Scripture, you'll see that God will sometimes bring stress into our life. He'll bring sometimes difficulty in our life so that you have this outburst of joy. And it takes a lot of faith to walk through that darkness believing that at the end of it, God will bring joy. And this is what Joseph had and what Mary had. They had a tremendous amount of faith that they could walk through this thing, which was more dangerous than we realize. You know, when we see his kids growing up with the nativity scene with the little shepherds there, they're always little chubby shepherds, and you got the got little baby Jesus. And, uh, and they always have the wise men, which actually didn't show up until a couple years later, but it's all there in the nativity scene. You grow up with that as a kid. It's a very kind of peaceful and bucolic, uh, you know, presentation, but it was a dangerous one. Their situation was dangerous. But God brought them through into that place of joy. The Apostle Paul, he had a rough start in his Christian life. You know, he started out persecuting the church, hating the church, resenting everything the church stood for. In fact, he got, got to Damascus. He had, he had letters from the rabbis in, in Jerusalem, the high priest in Jerusalem, so that he could persecute the church in Damascus. And on the way, he ran into God. He ran into Christ. And he was blinded, physically blinded, not just blinded by the light, but physically blinded, knocked off his donkey, left into a place where it led into a city that he was somewhat unfamiliar with, I imagine. I don't know if he'd been to Damascus before. And left there until a guy came and Ananias came and began to pray for him. And even after Paul had, had recovered and was fervent in his faith for Christ, and was preached in, in Damascus. When he went to Jerusalem, he found that his welcome was not very warm. It says this, When he came to Jerusalem, being Paul, he tried to join the disciples. He wanted to see the disciples. He wanted to say, Hey, I've had an experience with Christ too. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. That would be discouraging, wouldn't it? You, know, you, have this, you have this image, you have this vision of Christ, You've been preaching in Damascus. You go to Jerusalem. You meet the very people whom Christ walked with on this earth. And they're like, I don't think so. But Barnabas, this Barnabas guy, he's a huge part in Paul's life. He took him and brought him to the apostles. And the apostle Paul actually writes about this. He says, I saw, I visited with, and he lists their names. And he, being Barnabas, told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved freely in Jerusalem. So it looks like, okay, things are going good. The disciples, the apostles are like, all right, this guy might be for real. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. In other words, Paul gets accepted by the apostles, but he's a bit too hot to handle. He goes after, he starts debating with the Grecian Jews. That means that you had these Jews from a Greek background, not Jews from a Hebrew background. Like Peter was, for example, a Jew from Hebrew background. Philip was a Jew from the Greek background of Jesus' disciples. So he's, he's speaking to them. They want to kill him. Things are getting hot, and the disciples say, you need to go. So they send him back to his hometown, and he stays there for quite some time. In fact, Paul doesn't come back to Jerusalem. Most scholars think it's about 14 years before he comes back to Jerusalem after this. And it's only because...
church is starting to get all wibbly-wobbly about whether or not they follow the grace of God or the law of Moses that makes him come back to Jerusalem and say, listen, I've seen the Holy Spirit of God working in people who are not Jews. Therefore, it's not about keeping the law of Moses. It's about following the grace of God. But that's 14 years later. And in between that time, Barnabas again comes and takes Paul this time to Antioch, which is up in Syria. And that's the church that actually Paul grows in, leads in. And the church in Antioch is the one that sends Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. It's not the church in Jerusalem. It's the church in Antioch. But it was a rough start. A discouraging start. And how would you feel if you had just become a believer and you walk in the church and you say, I believe in Jesus, I want to know him. And the response of the people was, I don't think so. Most people would be so angry and upset and, and hurt that they're not being loved that they might even throw their faith to the side altogether. But Paul didn't. Because there was a joy that he knew and it couldn't be taken away from him. He knew what it was like to be in darkness and now he knew what it was like to be in light. And no matter how discouraging things were around him, he was never going to lose that joy. And you see it throughout his letters when he talks about how many times he's been shipwrecked, how many times he's been beaten, how many times he's been put into prison, how many times people tried to kill him, and yet he kept going forward because of the joy, that thing that could not be removed. It wasn't happiness. I don't think the Apostle Paul was actually pretty happy for most of his life. You look at it, it was a rough go. God tells Ananias, you need to let him know he will suffer for my name. But in spite of that suffering, he finds joy. Because joy wasn't based on his circumstances. It was based on what God has done. And I think it's interesting that many of his letters focus around joy. And this little passage in Thessalonians here pretty much tells us how we are to live. You know, I often say, when, when I don't know what to do, I follow this passage that says, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This is very similar. It says this to the Thessalonians, be joyful always. Why? Because the circumstances of our joy, which is found in Christ, never changes. Pray continually. One of the first things we do when we begin to find our, our joy begin to weaken is we stop praying. And by not praying, we, we just make our circumstances worse because we're, we are intentionally creating a wider gap between ourselves and God. So he says, be joyful always. And the way to maintain that joy is to be in prayer, to pray, to be in communion with God. Or find something. I know a lot of you right now are thinking, oh, my prayer life is awful. Now, now, now here's the guilty part of the sermon. But that's not really the point. The point is that, <laughs> the point is that you know, prayer is always available there for you. And if you can't pray anything else because you're so bummed out, and I've been there, just do the Lord's Prayer. You can pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, pray the Lord's Prayer. If that's all you can do, that's fine, because Jesus said this is how you should pray. Until that joy starts to come back. And then he says this, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because our joy isn't based on our circumstances. So whatever we're going through in life, a dark time, a time of light, a time of up, a time of down, as the book of Ecclesiastes say, there's a time for weeping and a time for joy, a time of peace, a time for war. In all your circumstances, be thankful. Because maybe God has engineered this time of darkness in your life so that you, like the Apostle Paul, like Joseph, like Mary, like even Jesus himself, will go from that place of darkness into light and you will have a testimony that gives glory to God. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful little set of verses. Because so often we're wondering, what does God want from me? What is God, what's the great thing God wants me to accomplish? Or what's the terribly inconvenient thing which I'm going to hate every minute of it, but I'll do it because I'm a Christian. That's not how God rolls. That's not how he functions. He says it. Be joyful always. Don't let your circumstances up, down, whatever. Pray continually. Be in communication. And give thanks in all your circumstances because we don't know. We're, we're creatures caught in the stream of time. We don't know if this is going to turn out great or not, but we do know, regardless of how any of our circumstances turn out, that we have an eternity that is founded in Christ, not founded in the temporary. And even if it all goes downhill and we find ourselves being martyred and Christians are martyred all over the world every day, that our eternity is assured, even if our tomorrow might not be. And that may be cold comfort for some, but you know what? For the people that actually live in places of stress, like the folks that we pray for on a regular basis, that hope of eternity is strong enough that they are willing to face prison, that they're willing to face torture. They're willing to face these things. And you may say, why? Because they know that their joy is found in what Christ has done for them. It's not found in what tomorrow brings. It's what eternity brings. They know it. They live it. And some of them die for it. More people died for their faith in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. Did you know that? The 20th century was the bloodiest century of martyrdom. Now, it didn't happen in the West so much. It's one reason why some of you haven't heard about it. But all around Asia, Africa, there's a lot of martyrs for their faith. So, nobody said the journey of faith was going to be easy. And sometimes if, you've been, if you feel like you're being spiritually punished, well, think about that. Be thankful in that, because it might be the very circumstance that brings you closer to God. And when the joy comes in the morning, your faith will be stronger than it's ever been before. And I think Joseph, Mary, and even the Apostle Paul would look back on their journey and smile about where this journey took them and the wonderful memories they had. Most of them were good. All of them were interesting. And looking back, it was a lot of fun. God was with them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, we pray that this hope is not something that will be uh, just based upon you know, how we're feeling this day, but may we be reminded of the fact and may your spirit remind us always that we are children of eternity. Not children of just tomorrow, but children of forever. And regardless of our circumstances here from the standpoint of eternity, this time here, be it difficult or be it easy, be it good or be it be how people describe things as being bad, however it is, from the prospect of eternity, it will be that significant time where we turned our eyes to you and our destiny took a whole different trajectory from being one cursed to die and to be forever separated from you to one that is blessed, forgiven, and has the prospect of hope, that expectation of being with you forever. And we thank you for that. May we live it. May we have your perspective in times like these. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.